Hello and welcome to We've Got History Between Us. In this episode, which is split into several parts, Voices letting you get to know more about a five-month internship that concluded at the Centre for Research Collections at the end of 2021. This internship, which took on three interns, was known as Project One on account of two separate but connected projects running simultaneously. Project One was part of a larger and long-term plan which encompasses university histories. The aim is to understand what evidence, what narratives and perhaps even what gaps exist in the material that the CRC holds. Indeed, with more of an understanding of the content that the research collections hold, the more representation, diversity and understanding can be provided. Not to mention, more access to relevant resources for research and conversation will become possible. Project One looked at historical connections between Edinburgh, Edinburgh City and Edinburgh University, and transatlantic slavery. For five months, the three interns, Ashley Cudney, Samantha Carey and Nuzat Torsa, delved deep into the collections and records. Over the coming episodes, you'll be hearing from two of these project interns, Ashing and Samantha, and from their line manager for the project, Lorraine McLaughlin. To kick off this episode, we're letting you get to know Lorraine, the project archivist at the CRC in detail. And later in the episode, you'll also get in-depth introductions to Samantha and Ashling to the studies and the research that they're involved with. Of course, there will be plenty more to come about the project, but importantly here, everyone, all the interns and the staff who helped manage them, were always talking about a bigger hope for these five months of research, mainly that this was just the beginning, that these were starting points for bigger discussions, for industry debates and an idea of the bigger picture, as well as looking ahead to decades in the future regarding what the research collections at Edinburgh University might look like. For now, we're starting with Lorraine's pathway towards becoming the project archivist, specifically the archivist for appraisal and collections review at the CRC. But of course, that is quite a big topic, and we started with something a bit more simple than that, with an easy question. Where did she grow up? As you can probably tell from my accent, I'm Irish. Um, <laughs> I grew up, I born, was born and bred in Dublin, so spent the first part of my life in Tallow, which is city west, uh, just outside the city. Uh, second part of my childhood down in South Dublin in a village called Cabinteely and studied and, and worked around around Dublin for, for most of my young life, yeah. Nice. In terms of in terms of a pathway towards becoming the project archivist at the CRC, where was it that you studied? Well, I studied, my path to archives in general is a little bit convoluted and if you don't mind, I'll tell you that little story. No, I would love to hear it. <laughs> but basically when I left school, I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of working and, and, and thinking and hoping to, to do third level, but I ended up actually doing a, a three-year degree, a national diploma in visual arts practice at Dunleary Institute of Art, Design and Technology in, in Dublin, South Dublin and specialising then in printmaking. So I absolutely loved that and had kind of art and design and everything as part of my upbringing, I suppose. My father is a graphic designer and my sister went into the field, lots of friends and family are in the field. Um, And so that's why I went and did fine art. When I finished that, I felt like I still had more to do in terms of wanting to kind of explore more academically and I knew as well that I, unlike some people who who train in art school, I didn't wake up every morning needing to make art. I knew I wasn't an artist in that sense but that I loved the area and I, I loved uh, 
culture, art, music, draftsmanship, printmaking, etc. And so even back then, I, I kind of hoped that I would be in the area of looking after that kind of material, but didn't didn't for, for many years still. So so anyway, I went on to study in National University of Ireland in Maynooth and took a du double honours degree in cultural anthropology and Spanish. And that was fantastic. It was a four year degree, but a, a, a really life changing in terms of the subject matter and also the opportunity to study abroad through the uh, Erasmus programme. So I spent a year studying both subjects in the Canaries in Spain, which was obviously wonderful for me. When I left, having done that that degree, then I, I moved to, to Cork City with my partner at the time. He was he was studying a PhD in UCC. And that's where I started really thinking, well, what do I want to do with all of this academic background and my interests being in the area of culture, really, and cultural products, I suppose you could say. So I actually started a master's in contemporary art and aesthetics. And while I was there, I just thought to myself, well, actually, I, I love this subject matter and this content, but actually I, at the end of it, I'm not sure, I still won't be sure which direction to go in. So I was down in, in Cork, um, knew the campus very well because my fr fr friends and my partner were there. And it was also um, so the grounds of Bull Library and also the Glucksman Gallery, which is a fantastic uh, gallery in, in Cork City on, on the campus. And I thought to myself, uh, who are the who are they? Who are the people who get to be in there and look after these wonderful things and be close to cultural artefacts and arti artists moments and the, the cultural history that brings brings it all together in terms of, of, of who we are. I was working in retail still. I was working at night as well as, as during the day, but contacted University College Cork Library. I'm sure I annoyed them for, for months, emailing every week, asking if there's anything I could volunteer on or anyone that could talk to me about how to how to be part of that world. And eventually, I think I was I was so persistent with my questions that eventually some, someone got back to me and said, yes, all right, you can come in and help us with the archives in in special collections. So I went in and did very basic work, cleaning and, and basic listing of, of archives. And that was really my first foray into looking after collections and understanding all that what goes into it. And I still wasn't qualified. I had the, the, the background um, in Kind of looking at cultural history but no practical experience of that or 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 the field itself so at that stage i still didn't know kind of curate curatorship or or you know uh, librarianship or you know an archivist what does an archivist do i had no idea really what 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 each of those roles entailed so i was ex i was still exploring that into conservation and, and how how one would um become qualified as a conservator and in terms of third level fees that was way out of my league basically just being completely <laughs> forthright here about how you know my own path but basically yeah, I was lucky enough in Ireland at the time this was 2011 to be able to avail of the free fee scheme and grants which were still available for third level postgraduate uh, study at that time so actually I was the last year in Ireland in 2011 uh, of kind of student co co cohort who was able to take advantage of of uh, grants and uh, master study. I had that in mind that I would go on and do a master's in archives and in the meantime had to get my my experience 
because it is a requirement. And I think in all of the uh, kind of glam fields, you know, galleries, libraries, archives, and museums, a certain amount of uh, volunteer work or unpaid work is always a really good. Uh, it's a good idea if you want to show your dedication to the sector, I think, because it's uh, it's, 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 it's quite a hard uh, and challenging sector to get into and there's, it's so competitive. So I was working on some of the collections there. One of the librarians, uh, special collections librarian, who I became very close to and was a real mentor for me, knew that I had this background in fine art and in handling artworks and dealing with exhibitions and things like that. And so asked if I would volunteer working on an art collection that was housed by UCC. And that was the collection of artist and writer Tommy Ungerer, who's a, a really well-loved children's author and author of many, many books, um, 140 or so, as well as being a fantastic artist, a very kind of political figure in the 60s and 70s, especially in, in New York and in uh, Nova Scotia and of course in Europe as well. And basically the Ungerer family had settled in Cork in the 70s and had deposited some of Tommy's artworks at the library for listing and looking after. Um, and in that, that agreement is, as far as I know, still in place. But basically, at the time, they didn't have someone that could be could dedicate a, a lot of time to Tommy's collection because it was all um, kind of volunteer based. So I was put to work on that. And that was absolutely fantastic, a life changing experience again, where I got to deal firsthand with the original artworks, but not only the artworks themselves, all of the things that go around finished products, finished artworks like notebooks and scraps of paper where ideas are, are played out and uh, versions of characters from, from famous stories and things like that. And I realised that archives was a very complex and important element of collections work and research but also very complicated. Mm -hmm. So I spent many months working with Tommy's family, especially the collections manager, his daughter, Aria Unger, just trying to make a, a start on listing the collection. And as I was going through that very practical experience, I realised this is a very, uh, yeah, a complicated field where there's a lot of twists and turns where if you don't do something right at the right point with a collection, it takes a lot of time and effort to go back and, and change that. So even yeah. things like dealing with coding or version control and things like that. So after months and months of working with that collection, I said to myself, I, I really want to be able to be good at this job, really, really good and, and not just focus on the one, one collection. So that's when I applied for the MA in archives and got a place on the UCD course in Dublin, University College Dublin course. Actually, this is my last few weeks at the CRC because after five years here, working with great colleagues and wonderful collections, I'm actually moving back to Dublin, to my hometown, to take up the role of Dublin City Archivist at um, Dublin City Library and Archive in Pier Street. So really looking forward to that. And although I'm desperately sad to be leaving Edinburgh, I'm I'm just delighted to be to be back with the familiar and close to, to family and friends and also collections that I that I know quite well. Yeah, yeah, this year sees losses, Dublin's gain. Yes. That's exciting. 
So I went to Dublin then and did the MA in Archives and Records Management. There is a kind of a studentship or a short placement uh, for one archive uh, archivist out of the newly qualified archivists uh, course that students are offered every year. And so I got that that year. And so my first experience of dealing with my own collection post qualification was to catalogue and digitise as a collection of uh, watercolour paintings that were used as teaching aids in workhouse hospitals, three workhouse hospitals across Dublin in the 19th century. So these were watercolour paintings of people suffering rare and incurable diseases uh, that were used for yeah medical course uh, teaching aids. And from there on in, I realised that every every collection or every archive or every group of material that I worked on was going to be like doing another another master's or another research project um, in a, ho a whole new area that I hadn't seen before. But I that was only a short project and then I, I moved then to Galway and set up an archives company just to be a limited company so that I could take on a project with Archives Ireland and that was to digitise the collection of the Abbey Theatre which is the Irish National Theatre and you know world famous because of of different writers that are associated with that and different writers over time. I then spent a couple of years as archivist and records manager in an international law firm in Dublin and that was a total sea change in terms of the subject matter going from very kind of materials to the really, really high level legal aspects or legal issues that, are, that surround records and the access to records and retention and disposition of records and information governance. I then went to the National Gallery of Ireland because I just wanted to work within the cultural heritage sector and I realised that from my own background with art, that was my real love was working with artistic materials or cultural materials. So I worked for just under three years on the Sir Dennis Mahan Library and Archive bequest. And Sir Dennis Mahan was a, an Anglo-Irish peer who lived most of his life in London, but had family connections with the Guinness Mahan Merchant Bank family um, who had a, an estate in West Point, County Mayo. So when he died, he bequeathed his library and archive to the National Gallery of Ireland and working with a small team there, we call ourselves the Mahans ever since. <laughs> there was a rare books librarian and another archivist, Killian Downing, and we worked through the papers of, of uh, Sir Dennis Mahan, who was a, a collector and a, an Italian Baroque painting connoisseur, an absolutely fascinating collection to work on. And from there, uh, I saw the, the, the opportunity to work on appraisal and, and collections review at, at Edinburgh and decided I'd give that a go. So that's the trajectory from archive school to Edinburgh. <laughs> that's very long winded um, <laughs> to say just how I even qualified as an archivist. <laughs> but an interesting journey and it, it's nice to hear sometimes the stuff about when you're, of course you need the qualification and of course you perhaps need accredited in certain fields, especially like conservation as you're saying, but to actually get in to a place and be close to objects and to understand the physical and the tangible and just the day-to-day -day is where you are in the craft. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think that's the same with a lot of, I mean, any 
any student of a third level course will, will know that there's a huge difference between completing your assignments, your reading and your coursework and then actually doing the job itself. I feel like with archives, the it's a kind of a double edged sword. One side is wonderful and one side is quite painful that every time you start a job, it's totally new. It's totally different. Um, you know the basics or the the skeleton for what uh, ingredients need to be there, but you also have to be really willing to deal with complexity and total difference com in comparison to your last project or your last collection that you worked on. And so it keeps you very um, observant and alert to, to what you're working on. Which mm. I enjoy. Yeah, the ingredients is, is for cooking something and not baking. It, it's not exact. Just out of interest, how long have you been at the CRC? Five years uh, last January, so so I started in, in January 2017 and actually it was just on a one year project working on appraisal and collections review for a very specific large scale project, the collection rationalisation project that was being run more widely across the collections. And that was that basically we have many, many kilometres of collections of all sorts in the CRC. They were wanting to bring together a team of people that would assess the holdings, see if changes could be made to efficiencies in terms of where we stored things and how we stored the things and um, making making space and making decisions basically about um, decades worth of collections that hadn't really had the chance to to be reviewed. So that's how I came on board. And really, I think for myself with 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 any archive project I've worked on, I seem to go towards the thing I haven't done before, which I don't know is always a positive thing, but I had never worked on a project that was specifically aimed at learning more about appraisal and review of collections, and so I thought I'll give that a go. Mm. Well, appraisal and review is, is part of your job title, but for the audience who might not know all of what that involves, would you be able to kind of explain a bit more about these words appraisal and review in the, the archival context? Yeah, sure. Both of those tasks, I suppose, are inherent in every archivist's role. It's just mm -hmm. that um, because of that overarching collections rationalisation project, the real focus that they wanted in this instance was on those um, tasks of appraisal and review. And basically, what appraisal is, is as you can imagine with um, um, things like auctions or uh, dealerships or just even workplace assessments, that appraisal is assessing the value of, of an item or the, the benefit of an item or whatever it may be. In the archival context, appraisal is understanding whether the material in the collection has future research value um, and those those values can be separated into kind of primary and secondary values. So the, the primary values, and this is already quite theoretical, but going back 100 years almost in archive, archival appraisal theory, the primary value is that informational value that, you know, you want to prove that somebody was enrolled at the university or, you know, show that something happened. The secondary value is when that doesn't really matter anymore. The, the fact of the student being enrolled or the, the meeting having taken place is understood, but the contents then have taken on another type of value, a secondary value, which is more based in research and what it can tell us about other topics that aren't its primary focus. 
-hmm. So, so when looking at a collection or looking at a, a, a group of documents or digital files or photographs or whatever it is, we'll make a judgment as to whether or not we should retain the item long term, review it uh, so that we say maybe in five or 10 years, we'll have another look at this and see if it's still relevant or still makes sense as part of the overall collection. Or of course, whether we dispose of it, which is either to destroy the material because it has no value whatsoever, or dispose of it to another collection or another part of the the overarching repository that makes more sense for it to be to be part of. I should say, so the destruction of archives, that so this is something that's really emotional for people and they find it really hard to understand how we could destroy anything. Mm. Um, but of course, as you can imagine, there are so there's there's so much there in uh, sometimes that's transferred over and a lot of it can be quite repetitive. And so if it doesn't have any kind of extra special unique value that's that's evidence, then we really have a duty to try and re reduce as much of that kind of duplicated or rep repetitive information as possible. And then there's also legal reasons why we need to get rid of some material because we don't have the right to hold it. So in some cases it may be that we close files because they contain personal data. But in other instances, for example, if someone has applied for a job, at the university in the in the instance of the CRC, but never ended up working for the for the university and, and has no other further relationship, then we really don't have a right to hold their personal data, but for example, their CV or, or their applications and things like that. So we're obligated then to destroy that material within a, a reasonable time frame. Mm. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. There's so many different ways that you can attribute value to something. Absolutely. And if anything, it has been quite quite a strange experience to spend five years delving into this really, really thorny subject and very subjective subject <laughs> in the sense that obviously when it comes to value, every person or a lot of people will have varying ideas of what's valuable. Um, so wherever possible, we don't dispose if we think that something or destroy, I should say, if we think that something might be in any way valuable to someone. But even if something is in duplicate or just is a rare item, like, for example, printed, lovely printed paper from the 1950s, even if it was if it was completely blank, we would try to find a home for that if we could, as opposed to just destroy it and put it in the bin. That's mm -hmm. not always possible. But as I was saying before, the collections are enormous and so this is a, a necessary task that really makes sure that the material that is really valuable is accessible and this can be seen and is not hidden between a layer of material that has no value basically. We have about seven, just under seven kilometres of uh, physical archives at the CRC and around 25 kilometres, so give or take a kilometre. <laughs> of uh, special collections in general. So we really need to make sure that we keep on top of things like collect, um, appraisal and review to make sure we have enough resource for what, you know, all the incoming material as well. Yeah, completely. In terms of kind of something long-term sustainability or just realistically how feasible it is to store that amount of material exactly. um, when you're acquiring new things every month as well. 
the other kind of element of appraisal is that it straddles the two realms of, of, of kind of legal ob obligation and, and subjectivity in a really strange way that first of all legislation changes around privacy and records and uh, the kind of information that you can hold so you have to keep on reviewing and reviewing what rules we have in place but also what might have been considered no have of having no value 50 years ago in terms of secondary value research value uh, may have huge value now when different eyes are, are looking at the material and, and different contexts emerge. So appraisal is a very forward thinking uh, element of, of, of archival practice and always looking to find different opinions and um, different methodologies for how to deal with assigning value. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. With Lorraine's expertise and job role now in mind, I wanted to introduce the project for the remainder of this episode, especially as in later episodes we'll start to go in-depth on the tasks and stories that were uncovered. For now, I hand over to interns Ashling and Samantha to tell you more about what Project One involved. So this project was in relationship to Edinburgh Council Slavery and Colonialism Review, led by the activist Sir Jeff Palmer, who's now also Chancellor of Harriet Watt University. And long story short, basically, we were given this list of monuments, streets and themes that we split up amongst ourselves. And we had to research and create this database of sources. So this is kind of early days of this kind of research in terms of Edinburgh's connection. So what we were trying to establish is, is there material that can be researched? Mm. Is there material there that is, you know, we could say quite confidently um, is related to these themes, um, but also kind of developing a research guide for future scholars um, in terms of what kind of issues we were coming up in terms of um, research methodology. What the main thrust, the main goal was, was to recontextualize public history in Edinburgh. So to look at the statues and the monuments and the buildings and to provide more nuance to the information presented to the public about Edinburgh's role in transatlantic slavery. And that isn't necessarily just what, what prominent officials were involved in transatlantic slavery, but also what abolitionists lived in Edinburgh and what their experience experiences were and what their contributions were. So it's to provide more context to objects and to these places and artworks that that perhaps people wouldn't have had otherwise. Totally, yeah, that is quite the mammoth task. Was there kind of a list of tasks to methodically go through? Or was it kind of that thing of like, welcome to the data, go? Um, a little bit of both. So there, there was a thought process through this that was presented to us by the by the head researchers. So what they did was they the council had presented a I think it was twelve different headings on here are the big topics we want to touch on things like international trade, funding education, artworks and literature. But then underneath they had subheadings like here are the things to focus on. So. Mm -hmm. 
things like the portrait of Robert Cunningham Graham or Rodney Street, and then a little bit of blurb, just an introductory kind of few sentences about who they are. So then, then it was go forth and research. So what we did was, or what I did specifically, I, I'm assuming my my um, co-researchers had a similar kind of methodology, but what I did was then I did a deep dive of my own research, writing down family members, um, where they were at certain points in their lives that might be related. And then I went to the archives. So I started off with archive space because first and foremost, Edinburgh University was interested in what's in their own archives related to these things that maybe they can flag and provide more information for. So I started with archive space and then I used that as a jumping off point. So then after I exhausted all of my resources on archive space. I went to the National Records of Scotland, which was just, I was inundated with the records to do with all of these. And so at that point, once I once I was able to go through and exhausted myself with those, I used that as, a, as another jumping off point to what other archives might be related. So if I found that somebody happened to be in the US at some point in their lives, I would go to the Library of Congress at that point. Or if I knew that they had some kind of correspondence back and forth, especially if they were like a big political figure like John Gladstone, for example, then I would go to the Library of Congress. Or if we're talking James Buchanan, um, he lived in Glasgow for a point of his life. So then I looked at the University of Glasgow archives. So I used that as a point to start looking at little regional archives to see what they had, which was usually very useful. Nice, nice, yeah. This is the first of a seven-part series about a university history's internship project that took place at the Centre for Research Collections between July and December of 2021. In the next episode, we get more in-depth on the project to talk about the aims and objectives in more detail. You've been listening to We've Got History. These episodes were recorded in December 2021 and March 2022. This was part of episode 9. The guests were Lorraine McLaughlin, Ashlyn Cudney and Samantha Carey. Episode hosted and edited by Lily Mellon. 